All right, we're going to continue on in our service. Sorry to break up. Good conversation. If I missed you at the beginning, my name's Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We're glad that you're here. If you've uh, just tuned in in the last few minutes from home, we are glad that you are uh, watching and with us this morning in that uh, medium as well. Um, today we're continuing on in our Advent series um, where we're looking at the, the, the traditional themes of Advent. And today um, we find ourselves at the theme of joy. We're going to talk about joy this morning. And I want to make a statement as it relates to joy that may, may, you may agree or disagree with, but I, I believe it's true, and I think the Bible would say so as well. But I want to say that all of you in this room were created to experience joy. All of you. All of us in this room, if you are a human in this room, you were created to have unhindered amounts of joy. It doesn't matter if you um, have been a Christian for decades or if this is your first time in church and you would not consider yourself a Christian. You were made by God to experience joy. It's hardwired into um, who we are as human beings. You were made for joy. And none of us, and I think we get this because none of us would, would raise our hands saying, my goal in life is to be unhappy. Show of hands, like who just sets out every day, I wake up in the morning and my goal is to just have a really miserable day, right? Like none of us want that. All of us are chasing things that at the end result give us joy. You think of all the motivations we have, all the, all the, the whys behind the things we do, if you go down that road far enough, eventually you're going to say, well, I do it because I feel like I'm going to experience joy. At the end of the road. And you can play that game with anything you want to go with, but you'll find out this is why I'm doing what I do, to experience joy. And we're going to do what we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to look at biblical joy and kind of compare, <coughs> sorry, compare that with the, this idea of joy that we see during this time of year, um, happiness maybe, and really can help us define and, and drive home what is biblical joy. So when we hear that word, when we hear rejoice, or joy, or in joy, we can remember, oh, this is, this is the biblical outworkings of that joy. This is how the Bible would define joy. So I'm going to read a few uh, quotes from my favorite, some of my favorite Christmas movies here. Uh, first one, nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Okay, That would be Clark Griswold from Christmas Vacation. Um, another one. Um, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, right? You got Elf, right? And again, this is talking about this idea of happiness, cheer, right? Being, being cheery. Um, another one, um, you guys give up or are you thirsty for more, right? Kevin McAllister, Home Alone, okay? And it, that's not necessarily happiness or joy, but I like that line, so I, I put it in there. But in the moment, Kevin is trying to Find happiness by getting rid of the bad guys, right? So you can make that work. Um, here's another one. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Anybody? John McClane, Die Hard. We'll talk later if you don't think that's a Christmas movie, right? <laughs> Happens at a Christmas party. There's trees all through the background. Santa hats. We can talk later. Um, now I'm going to shift to Christmas carols, right? Now we're going to get a little bit closer to the scriptures here, right? And I read these these lyrics to these. Rejoice, rejoice. You see that word there, joy. 
Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Again, these lyrics about the coming of Jesus are meant to produce joy in us when we sing them. A quote by the name of uh, a guy by the name of Blaise Pascal. Um, this is a quote we've quoted uh, several times here at the church. I really like it. Um, Pascal was a really smart academic guy, became a Christian, lived several hundred years ago. He says this All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So Blaise Pascal saying, even in the darkest moments of someone taking their own life, the promise is joy. I will experience more joy if I'm, I'm gone from this world. And we all get this, like commercial marketers, right? People who are marketing and trying to get us to buy products. Listen to some of these slogans. And notice they're not aiming at the head. They're aiming at something deeper in our hearts. They're, they're wanting us to buy the product, not by uh, explaining data to us or the research that makes the product so great. They're, they're tapping into something else. Disney. The happiest place on earth. There's happy there in their slogan for the most recent slogan for Disney. The happiest place on earth. They could have said, come to Disney. We have 39 square miles of attractions containing four theme parks and two water parks and 27 hotels on the grounds of the property. Like that's not in their slogan, right? That's true, but that's tapping into the head. That's tapping into something else. They just say the happiest place on earth because they want us to feel that. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Right? Instead of talking about how many millions of burgers they've sold. Walmart, save money, live better. Right? That's, you save money and you live better. Right? They're tapping into something deeper there. They could say, hey, save money, stay under your budget. We know it's been a hard time for a lot of us here. You're, you should come to Walmart and shop. No, it's save money, live better. Coca-Cola, together tastes better. Especially 2020, right? We're, we're alone. Share a Coke with someone and your life will be wonderful, right? They could have said, taste good, terrible for your health, and good at cleaning acid off of car batteries, right? And they could have said that, but that's not going to help you buy it, right? It's come together and share a Coke and y'all can cut, cut years off of your life together. I mean, I'm, no, I'm, I, like, I like drinking soft drinks. I, I like it. So again, I'm neither here nor there. Uh, so as, as human beings, I say all of this just to make sure we're aware that we all recognize this, this sense of joy, this need for joy deep, deep down. And everybody, the smartest people in the world, recognize it as well. A historical church document explains it like this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? This is one of those, those statements of our faith that recognize this deep down need for joy. So today we're going to look at Luke 2, 8 through 20. Uh, part of that passage that uh, the Mosher boys did so, such a wonderful job in reading. We're going to walk through that passage that they read. But to set that up, the Christmas 
uh, narrative found early on in the Gospels. It's interesting that especially Matthew and Luke, to some degree, uh, start the narrative with a genealogy. Matthew starts with a really long genealogy. It's chapter 1. If we're ever trying to find the Christmas narrative, we typically skip over that to just get to the birth of Jesus, right? But what Matthew is doing, and Luke does it as well, mentioning uh, the governor of Syria's name, right? They're grounding this, this story in history. They're not, they're not saying, they're saying, hey, this isn't like one of those once upon a time type stories that may or may not be true. They're saying this is historical. This is grounded. This really happened. This isn't a metaphor, a story that we can try to draw principles from. This actually happened. That's why Matthew starts his gospel that way. And it's why Luke starts it with some of those historical details as well. So let's look at Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Luke says, and in the same region, so Christ has been born. That was in the first seven verses. Christ is born. And then he, and it says this, and in the same region near Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I want us to think about the context here. Shepherds really out, out on the outskirts of the city, all alone. Really quiet. It's dark. I mean, they could see the stars. It was so dark out there. Alone, used to quiet, peaceful, just kind of keeping an eye on the, she- the, the sheep at night. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And not only an angel, but it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, imagine out in this quiet, peaceful, dark field, this angel appears and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then it says, and they were filled with great fear. I think all of us would have been in that boat with them. We would have been scared. These are just shepherds, right? They're just out minding their own business, doing their work, and boom, the angels show up. Look at verse 10. It says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is probably the most important verse in all of the Christmas narrative, in my opinion, um, and because it, it, it communicates what the purpose of Jesus' coming was in a very simple, straightforward way. But first, the angels say, fear not. So they get it, right? The angels are self-aware enough to know, hey, we're showing up in the middle of this field. It's dark. Shepherds, we need to tell them, do not be afraid. Okay? Do not be afraid. Fear not. And then they say, for behold, or look. Like, pay attention, look at this. Like, uh, take it all in. Pay attention. That's behold, right? And then they say, I bring you good news. Okay, say, so they want to expel that fear. They want them to not be afraid. And, he do, and they do this by telling them good news. And good news here is the word euangelion. Um, and you can even hear in that word, angelion, angel. Angel literally means messenger. And so you can hear that in the word for good news. This is where we get the gospel, right? When we talk about the gospel and we say that word a lot, this is what we're talking about, the good news. Literally, that's what the original languages tell us good news is, right? It is good news. And then he described, the angels described the news in that next phrase, of great joy that will be for all people. Now, it's interesting that I think that the angels put joy there. If they could, have, they could have said anything, good news of great peace would have been appropriate. Good news of great hope would have been appropriate. 
but they say good news of great joy. They highlight joy there. There's a lot of reasons I think they did that, but a lot of it is just if we're joyful, it will expel fear. And imagine the fear the shepherds were feeling in that moment. All sorts of other fears that they may have had in their personal lives, internally, right? As, just as they're like normal human beings trying to navigate the, their life, right? They say, he, the angels say, I bring you good news of great joy. So joy is attached to this news that will be for all the people. Now they describe a little bit more, verse 11. For unto you, here's the news, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so this is the explanation of the good news. Why is it good news? Well, Christ, when they say he says Christ the Lord there, um, in the, the um, Hebrew translation, that means the Messiah. Christ means Messiah. When you translate it from the Greek, it actually means chosen or anointed one. This is what Christ means. The word Christ has all that language. Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed. And the shepherds would have clearly heard this when, they have, when the angels told them, Christ the Lord. So, the gospel. What is the gospel, right? So the gospel is news. More than anything else, I want you to hear that the gospel is news, right? It's news about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So when we say we're building a church off the gospel, or the, Christian, the, the gospel should be the, central, the center of the Christian life, what we are meaning is the news about who Jesus is and what he has done is the central point. It's, it is it for us. Now, compare news to advice. Right? Advice is something we often fall into as Christians, and I think churches fall into this, that Christianity becomes kind of a list of do's and don'ts or a list of really good advice or, or statements you make about your faith. And there, that stuff is included in our faith. But that is not foundational. The foundation is news. Because here's advice is counsel about what you must do. If you're giving good advice, you're, this is, you should do this. This is the way to act or this is the way to think. News is a report about something that's already been done. Right? Like when we read the newspaper, y'all have most of you have never done that. That's a bad example. Um, when I read the newspaper, I'm approaching it as, oh, these are things that have happened and I get to make a decision on how I'm going to respond to this. This news may make me sad, it may make me happy, whatever it is, but I'm responding to something that's already happened. Whether it happens or not is not in my control, but what it is in my control is how I respond to it. Advice encourage you to, encourages a person to make something happen. Go do it. It's good advice. Go do it. News urges you to recognize that something has already happened and respond. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, old theologian talking about these two things. Advice is counsel about something to do, and it hasn't happened yet, but you can do it. He says, news is a report about something that has happened. You can't do anything about it. It's been done for you, and all you can do is respond to it. Okay, so we need to understand that the gospel is primarily news. It's not advice. It's not, hey, go live a moral life. That's important. But that's not the gospel, right? Uh, help go take care of people, right? That's important. That's an outflow of the gospel, but that's not the gospel. Okay? That's putting the emphasis on our action. The news of the gospel puts the emphasis on the action and work of Jesus. 
And this is what makes Christianity revolutionary and different from all other religions and belief systems. Because at the heart of, I think, nearly all, if I can't, I may be not thinking of one, but at the heart of all other belief systems and religions is this is advice. Follow this person. Read this book. Acknowledge these ten principles. Go follow this guru and maybe they'll show you the path to enlightenment. If the pressure is on the human being to attain to a certain level or a goal. Christianity is primarily about news. Something that has already been done. And you can already, already see that this is why it's good, right? Because the thing that was done is really, really good for us. Good for those who have faith. Good for those that have belief. Because apart from the work of Jesus, we're, we're a mess. Humanity's in a mess. I mean, just look around. Like, left up to our own will and devices, we're going to make more of a mess of ourselves. So good advice, maybe temporarily, maybe works every once in a while, but good advice is not the answer. It can't redeem humanity. Because once again, it puts the weight and pressure back on the human. And I know if the weight and pressure of me to go experience joy and peace and hope, I can't live up to that. Like there, I can't even get my, my, you know, my calendar straight. Like I can't even say the right thing to people at the right time. I can't even parent my five-year-old correctly. How am I going to navigate my way to find joy and peace and hope? I can't, no matter how... Many books come out about three steps to more joy or three steps to more peace. Again, those things aren't all bad. But if that's all I'm getting, then I'm just going to put the pressure on myself. That yoke that Jesus talks about, I'm going to put a heavy yoke upon me, and it's going to be impossible for me to get to that, that end, that goal, that, that whatever I've put in front of myself. The gospel leads to joy because the focus is on Christ, and we can't produce that. It's like me saying, hey, go be joyful. Like just go do it. Go, go experience a lot of joy. Like, like dig in and go grab some joy. That's just weird, right? Because it's like, well, how do I do that? Like we all know the experience. Like something has to happen to us or we have to hear of news that causes us to have joy from the inside. Like we can't produce joy on our own. And the scriptures tell us actually the Holy Spirit is the one who produces joy. As we look at and follow and focus on Jesus, the Spirit works in us as a fruit of the Spirit to produce joy. And all the other things in that list found in Galatians 5. John Piper helps us by defining uh, Christian joy. And I love this kind of simple illustration, as Piper is always really great at doing. Christian joy is a good feeling. So he says it's a feeling, and that's important. Some of us don't like feelings kind of in the Christian life, but joy is a feeling. That's, that's a part of it. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. It's deep. Produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world, right? So as we look at Jesus, joy is produced, right? Our joy is always attached to something. And this is why I think the angel um, shared the news, which brought the shepherds joy. The, sh the angels wanted to have, not, they wanted the shepherds to not be afraid. They wanted them to have joy. And they wanted them to take this news and go, and we'll see here in a second, kind of go spread it. Okay, let's look at verse 12. Let's keep going. The angel says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, so now there, there's just one angel now, and suddenly there was, an, was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. And we talked about that verse the last couple of weeks, so we won't really get into that too much. But what I want you to see from this, this narrative is that the angels show us what the appropriate response is, right? The angels are worshiping. The angels are going after. They're glorifying God. They're, they're like, you can almost imagine there's an exclamation point there. There's, there's, they are singing this. They're shouting this, the host of angels in this dark field to the shepherds. Amazing, uh, the, the scene that the shepherds witness here. A worship service that are, it is just full of angels. And I, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I like to imagine you know, the angels knowing you know, what's how this is going to all play out before it happens, right? They, they know that God's going to send Jesus, and Jesus is going to be born. And you can imagine the angels are just, they just can't wait. They want to go, they want to go tell people. They want to go tell the shepherds. They want, to go, they want to come to earth and make this message known. They're messengers. They bring God's message to humanity. I can imagine just the pent-up excitement the angels had to just release it in verse 14. To say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. And this could be, this could be how, you know, the definition of a worship service, right? We remember the good news, we think about the good news, and we come into this place and we let it go. Like we sing, we praise, we talk about Jesus, we talk about how wonderful God is and how beautiful Jesus is. So the angels are kind of training us here in how we should respond to this good news to the news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's look at verse 15 and keep going. When the angels went away from them into heaven, so the angels leave, the shepherds said to one another, I wish I could have heard more of this conversation, right? I'm sure there was more than this, but they say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, so they're like, okay, we, we need to go check this out. Like we've, they've heard this, they're obviously impacted as we all would be too, so they're saying, let's go check it out. Let's go do it. And they're in the area, so they, it probably doesn't take them long to get over there. Verse 16, and they went with haste, they hurried, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So I think this is interesting. We just kind of slow down and think about what's happening here. First off, um, they listened really well to what the angels were saying because they were able to go and make known everything the angels told them. So when the angels said, behold, there at the beginning of this passage, they listened. They were all ears. They were captivated. They, they knew this message that the angels were bringing to them because they were able to then go and tell someone else about what they had seen and heard from the angels. And then we see verse 18 here. And all who heard it, so the people who were around there when they went to, to Mary and Joseph, heard it and wondered at what the shepherds told them. And listen, this is, this is interesting. This is the first time this really hit me this week. In verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now remember, at this stage, Mary has already, um, right, she's seen the angel telling her she would be pregnant with Jesus, and she's actually given birth to Jesus already, the Savior of the world, yet she still responded, like, kind of uniquely to this message with the shepherds. These shepherds show up, and they start talking about this message from the angels. And she says she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So this was, this was kind of new to her in a, in a way. Like she, she, it wasn't like she hasn't reached, she hasn't filled her cup of wonder 
and of, and of amazement at what had happened to her, which is kind of crazy at this point, right? You, you've, you've been, you're carrying the Son of God, right? And you give birth to the Son of God, and yet there's still space for her to wonder. And then in verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So now they go off after talking to Mary and Joseph and just talking about how wonderful is this? How awesome is this? That we get to be a part of this and what this means for the world. And they go off glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. So I want to kind of think about some things here. Maybe these are, these are questions that we can ask of this or just things that I think we need to see in this story. One, that um, maybe asking the question, why did why did God choose to announce this news to shepherds? I could have chose anybody. could have chose any group of people at any time, at any place in that area, and yet he came to shepherds. And I don't think that's an accident. I think we need to ask the question, well, why did the shepherds get to hear this first? Well, first off, these were normal, everyday people. Right? They, they were, they were, they were blue-collar type people. They were out doing their work. They were faithful they were kind of on the outskirts of the city. People probably thought they were a little weird because you, you spend all night around sheep and, and kind of at the margins of society. People probably thought of them as kind of strange, kind of weird, kind of outcasty. Um, and yet they are the ones that get to experience this scene. That how many other people in that time would have loved for angels to show up, have a worship service in front of them, and be the first to know about this news that would happen. But they told the shepherds. And we know the shepherds is kind of a humble um, occupation, career. Like, I don't, think, I don't think these shepherds would have said, you know what? Uh, we're the first ones to hear because we're pretty great. Like, we're, 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 we have a lot of influence in the world. We, we, we have a lot of, we carry a lot of weight politically in this world. So that, that's got to be why they, they told us first, right? No, the shepherds never would have said that about themselves. They would have been, Jaw on the floor, like, I cannot believe we're the ones that get to experience this. And that's the, the exact response, the humility there that Jesus wants from us, right? And this is the lesson we can learn from the shepherds. This, I am so amazed that God has chosen to do this on my behalf. I, without, apart from God's mercy and grace, I don't know who I would be. I don't know how I would be able to live. I don't know how I would be able to love people and function in this world without the grace of God showing up in my life. He doesn't want us to say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I'm really smart. I'm well-read. I make really good decisions. And so I just made a really good decision about kind of following Jesus. No, he wants humility. And I think that's what he wants us to see in this story about the shepherds. Um, and the other thing, too, I think this, this idea of, of pairing joy with fear. I think there's something for us to think about in the fears we have, the things we struggle with. And we all have them, right? It could be a kind of normal fears about, you know, about maybe th like the shepherds, like maybe they thought they were going to die on the spot when they saw these angelic beings, right? We would all probably have that fear. But also, what about the fear we all have, the fear of approval, the fear of being loved, the fear of being alone, the fear of right now getting sick, maybe something happening to you. Like, we carry all these fears, and I wonder if we need to think more about how does joy get rid of fear more often than we do, right? And I think there's something to be, to be, to be just thought about in this story about how joy relates to the, the getting rid of fear. 
I think the other thing to look at, too, is thinking back to this field, right? Just going, putting ourselves back in the field maybe over the next couple of weeks. And maybe thinking back to when God saved, saved you, right? What, where was it when you first heard the message and something happened on the inside of you about the gospel? Go back to that moment in your life. Be encouraged by God speaking to you in that way, the way he spoke to the shepherds through the angels, I think we need to take some time and, and put ourselves in that situation with angels and shepherds and darkness and all that was happening in that moment. I think we should do that as we, because we're probably going to read this or hear this story again in the next couple of weeks before Christmas. And I hope that we'll dig in and go a little deeper than maybe just reading this as we normally would read it. Now, here are a couple of things I'd like to see us do, kind of application points. And we, we're going to get these from this text. Number one, obviously we see worship. We already hit on that. Like this news that we celebrate this time of year and the news about the second coming as well should produce worship, should produce praise. Right? So when we think about Jesus and hear about Jesus and, and, and sing songs about Jesus, we should be thinking about how does this impact my worship? How does this impact the way I live in light of the good news. We see the angels did it. We see the shepherds do it at the end when it says that they, they went away glorifying and praising God. Right? That's worshiping right? for all that, that they had seen and heard. So how, how does the news of Christmas that we celebrate, how does that Im, 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 impact our worship? That would be the first one. Number two, looking at the shepherds. right? There was this belief in the shepherds. It seems like just putting ourselves in the story, you know, not educated, um, hearing this message, and obviously there was some like, oh my goodness, like this holy fear, like I need to listen to what these, these messengers are saying, but also they didn't, ha they didn't have a lot of evidence. This wasn't like a back and forth like argument on like the, the validity of the claims of the, of the Christian faith, right? No, it was like, oh my goodness, there was this childlike faith the shepherds had. And so I think we need to recover um, if you overthink yourself. Again, thinking's not bad. But there's something to be said for childlike faith about this message. And I think that's important for us to think about. And the shepherds shared this, right? They, they believed, they worshipped, and then they shared quickly. So they, they hurried. And so I think there's something about the message should produce something in us that, that causes us to want to go share, to talk about it. And oftentimes we paralyze ourselves, so I think, with all the what ifs and what will they say and how am I going to answer this really hard question that I may get but honestly, that's not really the start of sharing. The start of sharing is just to tell people about how Jesus has come into your life and how Jesus has changed you and this, this message about this radical grace and mercy of God. Like, that's the message. And so this childlike faith in that should produce us being messengers and talking about it in, in, in a very free way. And here's the last thing I want us to focus. So we have worship. You have this belief that leads to sharing. And then Mary, I, I go back to Mary here. She, she still, after all this time, nine months of carrying Jesus inside of her, after hearing the angel for the first time, she, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You can imagine holding Jesus and thinking about the last nine months of her life. And so what is pondering? What does treasuring look like for us? How do we do that? How do we treasure this news, this message of what uh, God has shown us? 
And I think we should ponder and treasure what's the, the first advent and also ponder and think about the second advent. Because again, we're caught in the middle between these two advents, right? We remember the first one and then we long for and look forward to the return in the second advent. So I want to I speak to those of you maybe that are, things are a little heavier this year. I know 2020 has been hard for all of us, but it, it truly has been harder for some than others. I just want to recognize that all our complaining, all of our whining, all of our 2020s awful. Yeah, it's been awful, but for some people, it's been really, really bad. And I want to, I want to talk to you about joy. I want to talk to you about this, this, this season that we find ourselves in is not necessarily meant to satisfy you. It's not meant to give you joy. As far as the, the songs, putting up a tree, exchanging some gifts... All those things are great, but don't pretend, I'm giving the permission not to pretend like somehow those things are going to help you overcome the sadness, the depression, the anxiety, the loss. So don't put your trust in the things that we see around us right now. I hope you put your faith and trust in Jesus and this news that the angels were communicating to the shepherds. And that, that the joy that comes from the person and work of Jesus is the thing you bank on. And then all these other things which are great can become, they can be put in their place in a more appropriate way. So if Jesus is your foundation, if Jesus is your source of joy, you can look at a tree and think it's great, a Christmas tree and think it's great. And exchanging presents, that's great. That's, that's, that's good. That's, that's a good part of this season. But it doesn't have to be something you bank on. When you think of lights, you can see the lights and they can be reminded of, of Jesus calling himself the light. That Jesus came into a dark world that needed light. And so when you go look at Christmas, you don't look at Christmas lights in the daytime, right? You look at Christmas lights in the nighttime. So they'll pop, they'll show up. So next time you see lights at night, think about the, the light coming into the dark world. The light being Jesus coming into our dark and messed up world to save sinners. Allow presence to be the exchange of gifts instead of it just being kind of the surface level type things we often think about. Allow it to be a reminder of, of the, 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 the main gift that we want to think about, the, the true gift, the unbelievable gift that has been shown to those of us who believe, right, to sinners. Like, allow the gifts to be a pointer to the ultimate gift. You see, so if Jesus has his appropriate place during this season, we can enjoy all the things that may not be coming directly from the scripture because Jesus has its, his appropriate place in our lives. So my encouragement to those of you who are hurting is to allow this season to point beyond this life to the life that is to come and to his return and allow that to give you, again, hope and peace, what we talked about last year, and this sense of joy that comes from within, not try to muster up this joy from without. And so I want to say, say this, this, this line again from the song, because I think this should be our, our heart right now. O come, O come, Emmanuel. His presence, his spirit, his second coming, that should be our cry during this season. And rejoice at what Christ has done and allow it to be a foretaste of what's coming on our behalf in his second return. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful... Um, that in all the talk about joy and happiness in, in our world, that you give us a clear picture tied to the gospel proclamation, tied to the good news 
of biblical joy. This joy that is produced from within by thinking about and meditating on the good news. This news that says, that it shows us that we were incapable of saving ourselves, that we're incapable of mustering up joy from inside of us, that, that that's impossible for us to do. This good news that says there's freedom and there's joy found in the person and work of Jesus. And to trust in him and to follow him and to think about him actually produces joy from the Holy Spirit, along with peace and kindness and gentleness, and all the other things that the Spirit gives from within. So help us. Help us focus and set our eyes on the gospel this season. I pray that the other things that are surrounding the season would be pointers to that, would, be, would show us how to, to think about that, that the gifts and the lights aren't the focus, that your Son is our focus, and those other things can fall into place as, as ways to, to, to be able to experience joy as well. Help us remember that, Spirit. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.